0: I want you to know that right now, it's just a trial. It's just a test. The things that seem to hurt you and make you feel like you can't put one step in front of the other, it's just something that's going to happen to make you stronger.
1: The Icons is a show about leading our lives, our work and our businesses to the next level and learning from those who achieved iconic success in the iconic locations that bring their stories to life. And today's show is with Shantae Lowe, Now, I'll introduce Shantae as an athlete, but really, that's just the start. I don't think we've seen an athlete like you before. Shantae Lowe, welcome to the Icons by Motiversity. You're an Olympian. You're a medal winner. You're a world champion. You're an American record holder. Now, all of those are extraordinary feats, but you went to four Olympics. You were the American champion 12 times. You weren't just successful for a moment. I mean, you were successful for a decade plus, and you did it while having three children. And then probably facing your biggest obstacle at the end of your career. I mean, I I think, you know, most of us won't be Olympic jumpers in our life, but to learn about your fighter mindset, I think that's applicable to all of us. So can we get back to the start? I'm really curious, how did you get into jumping?
0: It's a funny story. So I would have never thought that baggy pants, baggy backwards pants and hip hop would be my start to an amazing career. But listening to the crisscross Cross song, like crisscross, Cross, I'll make it. jump, jump, a Daddy Mac will make it. <laughs> And I was jumping on a mattress, I'm dancing to the music, I end up jumping, really really high I fall off the mattress but I'm still jumping heads and shoulders over the kids who are on the mattress and I realized that I had a true talent for jumping and so I married that with my love of track and field I fell in love with track and field after seeing Flojo running the 1988 Olympics I'm four years old I see this amazing woman with beautiful hair rippling muscles in her legs and I'm like I have to do this so you know Finding out I can jump, finding out it's an event in track and field, and, and finding out I have a skill for it is really what started my career.
1: No way, I mean, the 20 year olds watching this probably won't remember that song, but the 40 year olds, as soon as you say it, I think we all got that, that bounce in us when, uh, when that song comes up. And then Flojo, I mean, one of the icons of athletics. Amazing to hear that she was a hero.
0: Yeah, you know when you think about Flo jo, some people don't know who she is, the the newer generation. But I say, okay, well Beyonce dressed up as her for Halloween. They're like, oh, okay, that Flo jo.
1: <laughs> Now, to go to four Olympics, I can only imagine what the dedication as an athlete looks like. And maybe I'll I'll backtrack that a little bit. I've been into sports my whole life, and it's it's almost like you need to get to a certain level to then recognize how good world class is. And so to be world-class for four Olympics, what did that take from a dedication and commitment standpoint?
0: I realized after making my first Olympic Games, so, so going up to my first Olympic Games, I had a constant dedication that I had to put in each and every day. I read Michael Jordan's book, and I heard about when he played in the NBA Finals with food poisoning, helping his team win, and how he never missed practice. And I took that to heart as a youngster, and I realized that I had to be relentless each and every day. But once I made my first Olympic team, I wasn't even thinking about what going to the Olympics would actually look like. I was thinking about just making the team. And immediately after making the team, I was filled with joy, but then a huge wave of emptiness came in and confusion like, oh my gosh, what's next? And I understood that you had to start making new goals immediately once you achieve the ones that seem so unreachable. And so being able to go to four Olympic games, win 12 US national championships, it was a consistent, repetitive action of setting goals over and over again. Some large, some small, but being a habitual goal setter is what I attribute to being able to have such longevity in this sport.
1: You know, Shante, I think that's fascinating to hear about how as soon as you're reaching one goal you're starting to think about the next goal and that it's a constant evolution of kind of raising the bar height I mean pardon the pun for a high jumper but uh, (laughs) you know many of us can create goals but then when it comes down to the Monday morning where I've got to get out of bed and do something about it that's where we get stuck how did you turn a goal into the daily routines that allowed you to be successful
0: Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I realized is that you have to write it out. It's easy when you get tired to kind of fall short of it and say, you know what? Eh, I was just playing around. But when you write it down, there's something about putting pen to paper that makes it concrete. And it's kind of like making a promise with yourself or calling yourself out when you write it. You you really have to follow through with it. And I always tell like my friends, my family or anyone that I'm mentoring is that it's about beating the tired man. Like, don't let the tired man beat you. A lot of times just putting your feet on the ground and taking those steps is the hardest part. And so if you can get past that, usually if you have it written down, you can get, you can beat the tired man, then you'll finally start building those habits where you could continuously work towards your goals.
1: Tired man, I've never heard that before. <laughs> you know what's interesting is that um, you think about the, the world's leading level of high jumping and then what it comes down to is that thing that we probably all of us can connect to writing down a goal and when you don't feel like putting your feet on the ground to get moving to, towards that goal to to starting and then that'll carry you through I feel like that's kind of a universal uh, lesson even though it, it helped you achieve world-class success
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly I think that a lot of times you know people can, it's easy to kind of give into the excuses or it's easy to feel like you know look at an elite athlete and feel like there's nothing that you could take from their journey that you could apply to your own life. But there's solid principles that apply through every facet of life that genuinely start with kind of setting a goal and sticking to it and just being accountable for what you say that you're gonna do each and every day.
1: Shantae, you brought up a couple extraordinary people already. Flo jo, Beyonce, Michael Jordan. Who did you look up to through your journey? Who are your heroes?
0: For me, it wasn't just the people who had amazing talent. I think that anybody could have amazing talent, but the people that took that amazing talent and actually cultivated it and did something with it. And so that's why I was attracted to Michael Jordan. He would have been amazing as a basketball player in and of itself, but his defined work ethic was unparalleled by anyone. And when I was in high school, I remember running stairs one day, and and one of my teammates, I would skip the last stair. I would just kind of stick my foot out and tap it. And she looked at me and she said, someone else is taking that stare today. If you wanna be the best in the world, you have to know without a shadow of a doubt that you worked harder than anyone else in the world today. And so the athletes that I'm attracted to are athletes that really embody that. Jackie Joyner-Kersee, Flo jo, you know, Beyonce, yeah, she could sing, but her work ethic is unparalleled, even though she's not an athlete, but I'll give her the honorary athlete card today. And you know, Michael Jordan, those, those are my favorites.
1: You know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point, right? We see Beyonce's ability to dance. We see Michael Jordan's ability to jump. What we don't see is the hard work, right? We don't see that kind of innate drive within them. And so for you as an athlete to pick up on that kind of unseen skill, that unseen strength, it was pretty uh, astute of you early on. So when you think about those heroes, you now sit in a chair on a track in Orlando with thousands watching Calling you their hero, looking up to you. What's your message to those who may be feeling like I haven't gotten started on the right track or I am being beaten by the tired man or need some kind of motivation? What's your message to those who are now looking up to you?
0: So my greatest message that I could give anyone is, and it's a track analogy, but it's stay in your own lane. And I think a lot of times that we try to go outside of what we're naturally drawn to, what we're naturally gifted at and we try to find something else that doesn't necessarily fit our skill set or something that we don't have a passion for because we see someone else doing it but each of us are uniquely made and and, and we have talents and different things that we love and when they say that you, when you find something that you love and you do it as your work you never work a day in your life so for me I jumped everywhere that I went if I tried to compose a symphony I would have struggled <laughs> and so I think that when you think about you know, what you want out of life, where you want to make your mark, you have to start figuring out who you are. And so my first step is always to figure out who you are. Where can you be great? And not and when you do that, you have to put the blinders on. Don't look at anyone else because nobody else can tell you how to be you. And I think that, that that's really what's catapulted me through all the different years of trials, tribulations. I dealt with homeless, homelessness and poverty growing up, domestic violence, growing up in a home with a lot of drug abuse and alcoholism. But I had that vision of going to the Olympics and I had that, that skill of jumping. I put those two things together and it was really the thing that pulled me through those difficult times. And I think that when people have those difficult times, you have to have something that is that brings hope and joy and, and has the power to propel you through difficult situations because each and every one of us has them. But we have to be able to see outside of it and when we lose hope that's when we feel like giving up
1: shantae i have to admit i've done a bunch of research into your success i didn't know about your upbringing Um, and i appreciate you kind of letting me into a bit of your world and your upbringing what can you share about growing up Um, i'm curious
0: yeah so you know after i watched that olympic games when i was four years old I kind of think of it as like, okay, that was God's grace of giving me something to hold on to because at that time period, my mother met my stepfather. Um, He was a very, very um, victimized, well, I'm not gonna say victimized. He was a very strong alcoholic, a strong football player who um, used my mom as his punching bag. And being a young girl, seeing my mom abused so violently um, left its mark on me. So going to school was my escape. I realized that education was the only way that I was gonna make sure that, that I, didn't live up, I didn't grow up in a household where my kids were wondering where their next meal was gonna come from. I wanted to make sure that I put myself around people that didn't value alcoholism or drug abuse and I really started paying attention to the university system and seeing that when people genuinely put action to the point of wanting to change their lives, they went and dedicated themselves to education. And so that's what helped me find that I wanted to go to school too. And I, and I really started finding school as my sanctuary. It was a place where I could, you know, develop in athletics and sports, but also to train my mind to be an intellectual so that I wouldn't have to repeat these cycles of abuse in my own life.
1: Thanks for thanks for sharing that. I mean, again, it's one of those maybe those universal lessons that probably connects to a lot of people. As as devastating as it is to to be raised in a home where there's abuse going on, addiction going on, um, I think a lot of people probably connect to that, and and maybe wonder, am I just going to perpetuate this cycle, or or can I break it? And you talked a lot about kind of hidden strengths, things that people can't see, work ethic, uh, discipline. Where do you think that switch went for you to say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna perpetuate the cycle, I'm gonna break the cycle. What was that skill within you to see that, recognize it, and actually be able to do it?
0: It's funny, I think when I was young, I had a strong sense of mind, body, and spirit. And I realized that nobody could influence my thoughts in my own mind. And I have this thing that says, you grow the seeds and kill the weeds. And so the things that brought me joy or brought me peace or brought me a sense of normalcy that that sparked hope inside of me. I would feel those things with the things that I said, the books that I read, the movies that I watched. I would really find ways to feel those. But then when there was that negativity where people would say, you know, do you know the odds of making it to the Olympics? Do you know the odds of this and the odds of that? I would immediately take that information that I had and refute that in my own mind. And you know, faith was a huge part of my upbringing. You know, just being able to go to church with my grandmother and feel like there's something bigger than myself that that would help lead and guide me out of um, some turbulent situations. I, I realized that all three of those areas of my life had to be good in order for me to be good. And I think that you know, with everything that we've went through with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's It's shined a huge light on the people that are living in households of domestic violence and abuse. It's made it inherently clear that there is a huge gap in the wealth distribution amongst people and that some people are falling behind. And I think that it takes um, education and learning how to strengthen yourself, mind, body, and spirit to be able to weather these turbulent times. And so I think that's why I feel like it's important for me to share my story because some people don't automatically have that hope or have that know-how. And being an athlete, coming through my own turbulent situations, I feel like I have like 20, 30 years of experience in this realm that could really help people, and I feel like it's my duty to do so.
1: When you talk about the the effects of COVID over this last little while, uh, I I study work, I find that it's probably one of the stories that's been covered up the most right now. In the sense that, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened during COVID, but one of the things is that, you know, millions of people have been devastated in their lives. And we get that from a health standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. And then recognizing that the power of hope is really an answer in lots of ways to to that struggle. And for those who are as courageous enough as you to to share your story of hope, that's, that's really powerful. And I think I'm now starting to get a sense of the mindset that allowed you to be that successful for so long. If we kind of get into your Olympic career, so four Olympics, 2008, in Beijing, you on the track finished sixth, but then through some disqualifications, end up being third. I'm really curious about the emotional journey that would have put you on. Can can you... Walk us into that story. Can you tell us that story?
0: I, so that is the year I feel like I developed the most as a person. Um, it was a time period where my husband and I had just had our first child. So when I made that Olympic team, I had an 11, uh, a nursing 11-month-old on my hip. And just being able to make that team, I won the Olympic trials with the gold medal. Going around that track, and my daughter had not yet reached her first birthday, it was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, months before I had just graduated from college becoming the first person in my family to get an education so that was monumental and emotional for me because I understood that even if track didn't pan out that I had my education to fall back on and then you know I put so much into training that season every single day trying to balance having a daughter on the track nursing her in between jumps and then Giving it my best to be the top of the world when I went to the Olympic trial or when I went to the Olympic Games I Did my very best I performed through the rain through you know One of the hottest Olympic competitions of all time where the Olympic record was broken by two individuals And I walked away with six what people didn't know is that you know at home I was struggling and my husband and I were actually being evicted from our house So we were in the middle of a foreclosure throughout that entire process and i had really hoped that i would get that medal so that we could you know we could pay our bills and and we could you know we could continue to have this lifelong dream that we wanted to build for our child um unfortunately that didn't happen we did end up losing that home and so it was very emotional um what eight years later eight nine years later to find out that at that moment none of that stuff should have happened but because I was anchored with hope and love I realized that I understood what so many Americans were facing so many people around the world were facing where you know you you work so hard and have everything stripped and ripped away from you um, and there really feels like there's nothing you could do about it but learning to pick up those pieces and Realizing that I had a lot to learn about financial literacy really helped me grow as a person. So when I got that medal eight, nine years later, I had so many lessons that were so valuable to me that I couldn't be upset with um, what was stolen from me at the Beijing Olympic Games.
1: Wow, you're such a fighter. It's unbelievable. I, I, I You know... If I put myself in the mindset of watching somebody on TV, you know, I'm seeing them at the Olympics, they'd probably train their whole life to be there. And then to recognize that they do have a child that's not yet a year old. They've got a story going on back home that's probably adding a ton of stress to this scenario. And, and then on top of that, dealing with all the politics and all of the stuff that's happening within that sport that that is cheating, that is all sorts of things that would be adding a, emotion to that, I mean, it. it speaks to your uh your strength your mental strength doping in athletics is one of those you you can't talk about the sport without it coming up unfortunately right it's just kind of been locked at the hip what's your take on doping as a professional athlete
0: so i remember when a lot of the doping scandals started coming out and i really started hearing a lot about it during my 2004 olympic um trip and i learned that There was a lot of people being accused of doping, people that were getting caught doping. And that was really my first introduction into it. So when I went back home and I went and and talked to my coach, I was like, man, it's unfair. People are cheating. Like, how am I going to compete? And he told me something that changed my life. He said, look, people are going to do what they're going to do. You can only control what you're doing. If you mentally tell yourself that everyone else is cheating, you're already telling yourself you can't beat them. So it's better for you to to assume that they're not cheating and figure out how to beat them with your hard work and your work ethic. And so from the very beginning I got amazing advice that put me on the right track to not so much focus on what other people are doing. Now when I have the opportunity to speak out or have a voice in transforming legislation or the processes that they use to catch um, people that are doping and cheating, I absolutely weigh in. But for my mental state, I have to assume that everyone is clean until proven guilty so that I could convince myself that I could win and I could beat them. I am a fundamental believer that anything that happens in the dark will eventually come to light. And I believe that happens with your, when you're doing bad deeds or when you're doing good deeds. And so that lesson enabled me to win. Eventually the test did come back positive that I was able to be rewarded with an Olympic medal in front of millions of people with my family by my side, and the people that were doping and cheating, they had to bear that shame. And so I think that when it comes to what other people are doing, you have to persevere and know that eventually you will get your reward and eventually those that are doing wrong will get um, what's coming to them for that.
1: I hope that sinks in for for a lot of us listening, me included, I mean, I feel like there's so many moments in life when it feels like you can get down you can get down at others and and probably to a certain extent that's justified, but then what's the reaction? And to internalize your opportunity to to use that as drive. And and you did over and over again found find a way to internalize things and use it as drive as opposed to a reason why you couldn't. Even to the extent of, you know, being at four Olympics and for the final three Olympics, every time you competed, you had just had a baby. What was that like? I mean, I, it blows my mind to even think about it. Uh, I'm a mama's boy, I, I love moms, I love, uh, I, I love what that journey in life looks like and what it takes, but I can only imagine what it takes as an athlete. Can you walk us into what it was like for your body preparing after just giving, giving birth?
0: Yeah, so your body completely changed, changes after you have kids. Um, I remember after having my first child, my ankles were so weak and I needed to be able to put a tremendous amount of torque and force into the ground to be able to high jump. And I remember having to take it one step at a time. And I think that we're at a certain level and for whatever reason we get knocked down, we just want to get back to that level so quickly, but we forget the process of being patient with ourselves and being very meticulous and strategic towards getting back towards where we, want to go that we could injure ourselves or we put ourselves through a lot of mental anguish and so for me it was no different i wanted to put myself through that mental anguish and i had just jumped one of the best jumps in american history and yet now i'm struggling to jump a height that i cleared my freshman year of high school but i realized that i had to put one step in front of the other and i had to take it one day at a time and by being consistent i eventually was able to jump higher and get to the point where i qualified for the olympic trials and then i qualified for the olympic games but i learned throughout that process and a lot of people say hindsight is 2020 vision and they say it in a negative way like oh hindsight is 2020 vision but it's the reality that you could take that 2020 vision, apply it to the next time and do it again without falling into the bear traps. And that's what I did from one Olympics to the next. I figured out a process that worked. Another saying that I love is that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. But they also say that quote in a negative connotation the reality is there's a positive aspect to it. If you're doing things right, you get amazing results. You put in that recipe time and time again, it'd be insanity to expect to get anything less than success. And so once I figured out what works, I keep doing it. My weight sheet is exactly the same as it was when I was in college, my, my training, I kept everything the same because I know it works.
1: That is cool. Flipping that insanity quote and using that, you know, as almost a formula. To success, that is cool. Uh, e- even when you talk about, you know, the ankle pressure to jump, um, you know, again, my brain would have gone to things like, you know, different body movement, maybe different core strength after after giving birth. Uh, but even things like your ankle and getting ready for that pressure that was going to take, and then to allow yourself to have the permission to just work through it over time, um, that patience, I think, is is a really important lesson to come out of this. And then if I, if I fast forward, so you've been to four Olympics, you're preparing for 2020, 2019, you get a devastating diagnosis and, and it changes your world. Can you let us know about what that diagnosis was?
0: Yes. So in 2018, I found an itsy bitsy tiny rice sized lump from doing a self breast exam. And the reason why I even decided to, to do self breast exams, I was only 34 34 at the time, um, was because another athlete shared her story and her journey with breast cancer. So I really wanted to be proactive. Unfortunately, when I went to the doctor, I was dismissed and I was told not to come back for six years and that what I was experiencing was a swollen lymph node. Well, the doctor was completely wrong. Um, It turned out to be breast cancer, a very aggressive, fast growing form of breast cancer that predominantly impacts African-American women. And when I started learning the statistics about breast cancer and how impactful it is that it could be as much as one in eight here within the states that will be impacted with breast cancer in their lifetime, I was shocked and I was devastated. And, you know, being a mother that I thought that I had my whole life in front of me now facing a diagnosis where I could die soon, um, my heart broke. But I realized that, t- that tenacity that was built over years of watching the Olympics, enduring poverty, enduring domestic violence, figuring out ways to come back from pregnancy to be at the top of the world, to break American records, I could take that same mindset and mental state and apply it to this breast cancer journey. And I started making a list of all of the things that I did to become successful as an athlete. But before that, I said, no. I decided that I was going to be defiant and that I wanted to live and that my life was worth fighting for. And so, you know, I I did the same things. When you're an athlete, you look for a great coach. You look for a great nutritional plan. You look for, you know, a great training program. I did the same thing. I looked for an amazing oncologist, amazing um, surgeon. I looked for an amazing medical team so that I could make sure that I could be here and watch my kids grow up.
1: Shantae, my mom went through breast cancer and I remember the fear of that as a child. Um, I remember the strength in her, uh, the resilience, the tenacity, Um, and I remember the family conversation because it does start to look at, you you zoom out and you recognize there's a lot of life ahead of us and and how do we rally as a family? And so I really appreciate you speaking to that and and, um, connects personally. At the same time, you were having that that family conversation, though. You were still training. You were training through chemo for an Olympics. You weren't just talking about, you know, how do we rally as a family? You were still rallying as an athlete. How did you juggle both those pieces? And did it help work through it, or was it actually, you know, too much to take on?
0: Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Um, it's definitely very devastating and, and difficult. Um, when I first was diagnosed I didn't know if I was gonna train for a fifth Olympic Games it was something that you know I put myself in a great position just in case I wanted to but it wasn't something that I had yet committed to when I found out those statistics and how prevalent breast cancer was in the lives of so many women and, and children and fathers mothers sisters all around the world I felt like I had to do something I didn't have a lot that I perceived as resources to be able to make it impactful change but I did know I knew how to train I knew how to compete I knew how to make Olympic Games and I figured if that's my lot if that's what I had in my hands to be able to contribute to the world I realized that The Olympic Games is a huge media conglomerate. People are interested in the stories and the storylines and that I could take that story and raise awareness about breast cancer and help change, change my platform into a platform that disseminates information, supports people, and most importantly, provides hope to the hopeless. And I felt like it was my responsibility. So training for my fifth Olympics was solidified by the fact that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, once I found out that my treatment would be chemotherapy and it would be a double mastectomy, I didn't care. That wasn't going to stop me because I was fueled by love and compassion for other people in a world where we're told to take selfies and care so much about ourselves, I felt strength from taking on the burdens of other people and acting out of compassion and love for them. It felt like a labor of love. And it was my honor to do it. And, and I will continue to do it. And I would do it a thousand times over if I could. You
1: know, we put out motivational videos, Shantae, and so we hear a lot of powerful stories. And that was powerful. Thank you. I, I wonder if you look back, again, the, the hindsight is 2020 idea. idea. If, if you think back to yourself at 20 years old, now living the life you've lived, showing the perseverance that you have the tenacity that you have for olympic games doing it while giving birth fighting through cancer changing your platform to now taking on a different kind of fight what would you tell yourself as a 20 year old
0: to not worry so much i worried so much and paid so much attention to things that were not important um family love friendships, experiences, and being able to be of service to one another, I would continue to tell myself to have faith, never, never not for one second to give up faith because everything works out exactly the way that it's supposed to. I think that those are the bits of information that would have kept me from a lot of days of crying and fighting with myself and and being upset because in the end it always worked out.
1: There's a lot of 20-year-olds listening to this. <laughs> I hope that message reaches it. There's a lot of 41-year-olds listening to this. I, I hope that message reaches me, too. What's the greatest advice you've ever received, Shantae?
0: Oh, that's a hard one. That's a really good question. Um, you know, what it's funny. Um, it was an older lady who told me not to make mountains out of molehills. And I think sometimes we have this situation right in front of us and it seems so big and so earth-shadowing and or earth-shattering and we feel it's just a huge stumbling block um, of us being who we want to be or being a contributor to society as a whole and I think that if we, we stop making small minute issues into monumentous mountains in our life, we will live a more fulfilled, more happy life. And so that is the best advice I had ever received. And the second one, that excuses are the patches that we sew on the garment of failure. Yeah, so both of those.
1: <laughs> I like it, I'll take it. <laughs> well, if you think back to your career, I mean, as long as it's been over, you know, that level of competition at that, at that height, uh, what was the highest moment? what was the lowest
0: moment okay I'm gonna start with the highest moment the highest moment was when I was receiving my Olympic medal and it was something that I had faith for for a long time it was something I believed would never happen so immediately after going to the 2016 Olympics I was the last jumper if I make the bar I'm Olympic gold medalist if I miss it you know I'm fourth place which is first place loser You know, sorry to all you guys out there that are living in fourth place world. (laughs) But um, getting that Olympic medal, going to the Olympic ceremony from 2008 and having that medal handed to my three-year-old son who handed it to my five-year-old daughter, who gave it to my nine-year-old daughter, who gave it to my husband, who placed it around my neck. That was literally the highest moment of my athletic career. I think, that my lowest moment was being told those words you have cancer and you know just feeling so strong and so untouchable like i was the one who believed that pain is weakness leaving the body and i felt like wonder woman and just to see my son afraid to hug me because he thought that he would break me that was probably my lowest moment and being able to come back from that to where I am now, um, post-athletics, I am living in my highest moment yet again. That's amazing.
1: I, I heard a, a clip of you talking about the 2020 Olympics and qualifying for it. And, and you know, I, I hope I get it right, but you said, I ran out of runway. Uh, like, this would have happened. I would have come back from this. I would have been at the Olympics. We just ran out of time, yeah. essentially. And, uh, you know, to think about where you're at mentally, where you're, again, at home with a child who's, who's scared to give you a hug and dealing with that at the same time you're training through chemo, at the same time you're trying to get back to a world-class level. You know, juggling all of those pieces and being the fighter that you are to keep going and then just to say at the end, around a runway, but yeah. to know that had you had time, it would have happened. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Shantae, what do you think your legacy is?
0: I would hope that my legacy is bringing hope to the hopeless. Especially now more than ever, we see that people are losing hope and they can't see beyond their current circumstances and they feel like like their runway is too short. But um, I want to bring the fact that there is hope. There was a time period in my life where I decided that I didn't want to live anymore. And that was at that 20-year-old age. That's why it was so easy for me to go back there and say, you know, and it was something dumb. It was a breakup. (laughs) And just to see all the amazing and beautiful things that were waiting for me in life on the other side of that moment. I want people that are living in their 20-year-old devastation to know that there's life on the other side of it and to hold on to hope. Like if she could do it, I could do it. If, if there were great things in her life after all she's went through, I could make it too. So that's my, I hope that's my legacy.
1: Shantae, you think about the, you, you speak to this legacy of providing hope to the hopeless. You know, there are people watching right now that are feeling hopeless. What would be your message directly to that person who, who needs to hear it in this moment?
0: So to you, to the person who's feeling like there's no hope, that you can't see a way out of your current situation or circumstance. I wanna say first that I'm sorry that you're going through whatever trial it is that you're going through right now. It's not fair and you don't deserve it. But there is hope on the other side of this trial. I want you to think about those feelings, those times where you felt happiness, where you felt joy, where you experienced love in a way that you never thought you'd be able to experience. And I want you to hold on to those moments and think about your future and think about having those moments of love and joy and laughter and peace again. And I want you to know that right now, it's just a trial, it's just a test. The things that seem to hurt you and make you feel like you can't put one step in front of the other, it's just something that's going to happen to make you stronger. You don't have to get from how you're feeling right now to immediate joy and laughter. It might take time, but all I'm asking you to do is put one foot in front of the other and grasp onto that hope with everything that you have and know that this too shall pass.
1: Shante, what's next?
0: What's next for me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, what's next for you? I mean, the, the, the person who reaches goals and as she's reaching it, creates the next goal. What is next? What's the next
0: goal? So I have learned that I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. I love talking to people. I love making them laugh, but more importantly, I love giving them life-changing lessons that um, help them. So I've been doing motivational speaking. I've been talking to corporations, nonprofits, organizations, large and small, and just sharing the stories of my life, but also giving these groups tools that they could use in their own lives, and finding ways to really become an elite and Olympic athlete of storytelling. Because I believe that, you know, my legacy happens only if I put action to it. It's not gonna happen by accident. And I've just been speaking every day and there's some athletic endeavors in my favor. I'd lo- love to try new things that I've never done before. But most importantly, I'm loving on my kids. I'm loving on my family. I'm watching them develop into athletes and and young adults, Um, vacationing and spending time with my husband and and just really being, you know, a person that could help people see the light in the world.
1: You are a storyteller. And thank you for letting us into your special story today. I think that probably, you know, whether you're a mom, you're a 20-year-old, you're an athlete, you're somebody who's feeling hopeless right now, there's probably many different ways that people heard that and it was helpful for for all who listened in you know we talk about the icons as being this show to learn from people who have achieved iconic success and uh what always grounds me is that the lessons they have are are surprising surprising because they offer you know sometimes simple discipline to things that feel overwhelming but also they offer you know, the personal side to these storylines that we see. And I really want to thank you for letting us into the personal side of your storylines. Uh, it's been an honor for me to have this conversation. And for all of our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We're excited to have you hear this conversation and future conversations we have coming up. Shantae Lowe, thanks for joining the Icons by Modiversity.
0: Thank you. Bye.